We look at the hype use cases, like what are the really cool things that designer in uh, an enterprise want to build. And then we create an article on how to build that and best practices and everything. And that's our biggest source of uh, leads. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Tina Carlson, CEO and co-founder at VEV, and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Tina. Hey, thanks. Good How are you here. today? I am uh, doing pretty well, I would say. It's Friday, almost the weekend. It's always a bit better on Fridays. You know, when you take that beer at two o'clock, finish the week, it's the best. <laughs> okay, so so it's soon a beer waiting. When we are done and uh, maybe some last meetings, that, then you have... You have the after work beer waiting for you. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. And let's dive into it then. First thing first, who is Tina? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that I almost never lead with is the CEO role. I would say I'm a mother, daughter, friend, colleague and also happen to be CEO. I'm uh, 32. I've studied creativity, innovation, and business development. So I sort of studied to become <laughs> an entrepreneur, a bit of everything. We call it like a potato study in uh, Norway, since you can, you can be used for pretty much anything after going through those studies. Yeah, so I've been uh, running Vev since 2017. Prior to that, I worked at a startup where I met my co-founders, but I also learned everything not to do when running a startup. So that was also my my journey into to starting Vev. I I love the framing. Learned everything not to do. How long period was that? So I worked there while I was doing my studies. And as you can imagine, that company does no longer exist. But I think I was there from 2013 until 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then then, then you be not just six months in and out. Then you have actually seen that out. I think anyone that wants to start a startup should do like like exactly what you just said you should work some years at the startup to see is this for me or not what to do what to not do exactly but then the negative part is that i've never had like a corporate job so i don't know how normal people have it (laughs) (laughs) normal people (laughs) yeah me neither i have never had a a corporate job but then you can, once you grow like you do now with Weave, you, you can hire super smart corporate corporate decision makers. Exactly. Yeah. 
And thank you for the input here. And then uh, shifting the focus to Weave. So the listeners get a quick view, understanding of your company. What mm-hmm. does your company do? Please do the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch? Well, Vev is an interactive experience builder for designers, marketers, and developers that are looking for the ultimate freedom on the web. So we have worked to bring no code into any tech stack. So anyone, no matter what tech stack they're using, they can add Vev to build those really interactive, beautiful pieces of content or sites that they typically have to invest a lot of money and time in to do with code. Now they can do it visually in Vev. Some customers say that they have reduced time to market by 90%. They've been able to scale parts of, for example, producing interactive content. They've been able to scale that and hence created new revenue channels as well for their companies. So I would say that's the, the quick story. And you mentioned the word story, a perfect angle for me to, to move on to the next thing, because I, I want to know the story of why you and your co-founders started with. Yeah. So as I said, we met at a startup where we were introduced to how large enterprises produce for the web. And this is a tricky world. You have to understand their tech stack. All of them build in CMS systems. You also have to understand their resources, what type of people they have on hand, their experience. And this introduced us to the idea of building a workflow for web that is similar to the design workflow that every designer knows and loves for print. So the idea was to build a platform that could take web designers, but also traditional designers into producing for web, where you have responsive designs. You have to make sure that your design works for for desktop, tablet, mobile, you know. So the platform builds the foundation for that. And from there, we also had the understanding of large enterprises building at a really hard, large scale. So they want to scale what they produce. You have several different languages. You have web best practices to take into account, SEO and all of those (laughs) things. So when we understood this picture, we saw that we were able to deliver a technology that would help solve these bottlenecks that enterprises and anyone that builds for web experiences with the existing technology that is here today and back then in 2017. And you have done this for several years now. And yeah, uh, exactly. yeah it, it makes so much sense when you like work with that. So that saw the problem first sight, already know your uh, co-founders and then boom, here we go. And now it's time for another segment in it that I call five quick ones. And now you need to be quick. I will throw up a word and you need to say the like first sentence that pops in your mind. Are you ready? Go. Yeah. Design. User experience. The life of being an entrepreneur. Gosh, marathon. (laughs) Your biggest role model. There's this Scottish EU politician what's her name again 
I don't have a role model, so I just follow people here and there. So now clear daily. <laughs> Something that's keeping you awake during the nights. Oh, now it's Gaza. It's the and first the thing that popped in. Your happy place. With my daughter or in the kitchen with a beer. So marathon, being the life of being an entrepreneur. Can you please explain? Why, why, why first thing, marathon, why? I think that it takes a lot of endurance to start a company and to continue sort of living with that pressure, but also being uh, a source of pressure. You have to like keep that sense of urgency going for years and years. So sometimes I compare it to running a marathon, uh, but I also think of it as like an uh, intervals type of thing where you have to sort of uh, plan, step back, see what works, plan again, and then go hard on uh, new ideas and new approaches. So if you think of it in that way, I think that you you can sort of fight the status quo, which I think is the number one job of a startup CEO. And if we take this one layer deeper than connected to the life of being an entrepreneur, a marathon and door, what's one of the worst things you have ever gone through as an entrepreneur? One example, one scenario. One scenario. So I've actually recently had to part ways with a co-founder. And I can, of course, not go into detail. But I think it's something that many go through. So losing that one person that you've sort of shared the weight with for the past six years was such a hit on like my own well-being. Uh, luckily, it turned into an opportunity for me as a CEO to grow and sort of make Vev even more into what I envision it to be. But I think single co-founders might struggle. Luckily, my we were three, so we are two left. So I have someone to share it with. We've also been able to sort of create mini founders within our our team over the years. But I think that is one of the harshest things I've gone through as a founder, considering that it's both personal and professional at once. Yeah. This scenario, you are not alone. (laughs) There are so many founders out there who have been through this. And it almost often turns out to the better after a while for every part in the scenario. So thank you for sharing. And now, now I will sip it actually, because now it's time for a topic of your choice. So this means that you choose something to talk about for a couple of minutes that that's a nerdy interest and you feel passionate about. So the floor is yours. So a nerdy interest. Actually, I talked to my team about this and we were brainstorming because I was like, shit, this is like the floor is open. You can talk about anything. One thing that we got back to was being a mother and a founder, which 
I don't know if it's uh, talked that much about. I think also parenthood in general. Because one thing that I found really interesting with becoming a mother, like in the midst of uh, like a period where the company scaled, changed, grew, all of that, I had the dumb idea to have a kid uh, or good idea. Depends on how you view it. So with that shift, I had to learn how to delegate. So basically the result that I, when we've talked about this, because it's actually a topic that I don't find as interesting, but when I talked with my team about it, I started reflecting a bit about sort of the end result of me having a life outside of the company as well, which turned into delegating more work and giving more responsibility to more team members. And as a result, what I see now, and also, as I mentioned, is part of a reason why losing a co-founder went okay for us is because we have created these team members that view themselves basically as founders of the company and has worked here for over five years. So I think that the as a founder, one of my biggest achievements is creating a team where everyone has so much ownership to the idea, the direction of the company and everything that I feel like that's the key to our success, especially being a company in Norway where we don't have the same access to sharing stock options in the same way as in in the US to create ownership in in that way we have pretty high salary rates so sort of competing for those high talents is incredibly difficult in Norway so what i'm getting to is i think that me creating a life outside of the company as well sort of gave even more space to our team to take ownership in where we're going. And as a founder, letting go in some way and being confident to share that responsibility, I think is one of the best moves that I've made <laughs> so far as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I love this topic. And I think like, what would you say... If any founder listening to this right now is in almost the same situation, what would you say the two three most important things to think of to, to successfully do this transition that you now have done? Some bullets here. What, a small handbook. A small handbook. Well, I think the goal here is to have people on your team that you trust as much as yourself pretty much to make good decisions for the company. I think the number one step is to make your employees experts. And that's experts not only within their field, but when it comes to your vision, the market you're operating in, the competitors and comparable solutions that are out there. So we have spent a lot of time on sort of bringing that knowledge that you naturally gain as a founder because you made all the decisions from the start up until now. You've gained 
like niche knowledge that is really hard to share and replicate. But we have made a conscious effort in constantly talking about these topics up until the point where it's boring. And I think that created a platform for our employees to gain that understanding that you might feel like you can sort of carry on your own. So that is uh, step number one. And then it's also trust and transparency. I think a lot of the time as a CEO and a founder, you sort of protect your team from harsh realities or difficult decisions. And I think that it's a really smart move to invite the right team into those conversations and share also the heavy stuff in addition to the good stuff. And from my knowledge and experience, the more I do that, the better decisions my team can make, the more they are motivated to make the changes that we need or continue doing what we do well. Good. Thank you. And let's talk about go-to-market. One of my favorite topics. I, I want to get your input regarding what you see the five or three steps that are most critical according to you regarding creating a strong go-to-market machine. Yeah, I think messaging and positioning should come from founding team and those who understand the customer the most. So messaging and positioning should come from, of course, your company's perspective, but more importantly, understanding how your ICP view the world. So with that comes developing that positioning and following messaging through a lens that lands well with the ICP. I think that says... We're so deep into it, the technology, we see all the advancements everywhere that I think taking that step back and see where does my ICP come from when they look for a solution to a problem, what language do they use even, is a crucial step to understand. Then in initial phases, you start experimenting typically with the founder sales and different ways to land those first customers. And I think you should pay some proper attention in that phase of what worked here and then look at that as a way to scale rather than looking at like popular frameworks or how other companies have done it. I think you should be inspired by those first deals that you land and really take a close look if that's possible to scale. Then I think I believe in consultative sales. So I think bringing that as a value to your customer is something, especially in the B2B sector that we operate in, I think you shouldn't take for granted. So messaging and positioning, build that through the eyes of your, of course, your knowledge, but also through the eyes of your ICP. Do more of what works initially to inspire your go-to-market model. And last, make sure that you are an expert within your field and can deliver value beyond a product. And which of this is the hardest one? I would say messaging, because 
it, Why? The world is crowded with solutions and American companies especially are not afraid of using large words, I would say. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's building that differentiation through messaging that I would say is the hardest. Do, do you feel that also as a Norwegian company and me in Sweden, etc., it can be so inspiring just looking over the Atlantic to like American sea companies, you you know, with their product isn't actually so good. And they're like, we are the number one in one. And like, okay, why are we so humble? We ask ourselves this every day. So we try, like, no matter how hard we try to be Americans, we just can't do it. I don't, I, I try to understand it myself, but the one thing that I've experienced is that we have even American clients that buy from us because they're sick and tired of American salespeople. So I think that we should sort of look to the U.S. for marketing advice and then wrap that into that consultative and safe and humble sales approach. From the Nordics. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, sharing these bullets. Do, do, do you have some like practice that you have done or that, that, that you can throw out like, like as where do I start? Do, do you have like something super simplified to at least get going with the first steps? Yeah, I have a book called, isn't it obviously awesome? It's called, so that was a mind opener for me, which revealed to me that like we... We cater to companies that have very traditional workflows. They might not use a no-code tool whatsoever. So we had to break down our messaging in a totally new way for that audience, which was an interesting approach where that book helped us a lot in looking at ourselves through new lenses, I would say. Great. Then we have our first book tips here also. Yeah. That I haven't read at least. I've got super curious. No, I need to check this out. Obviously awesome. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for this. And moving on from go to market, one layer deeper to marketing and lead generation. Because yeah. now we have an external question. This is another segment in my podcast that I, I let people from the community I cut in basically the voice and they, they will get access to you. So here we go from Sebastian Lundgren at Tactical Digital. And this is his question. Hi, Tina. My question is, what's the thing or channel that generates the most leads for you right now? Oh, it's such a boring answer. <laughs> <laughs> it is SEO. So for us, uh, we have as... We have a horizontal market, so we can, uh, any type of vertical can use our product. So what we do is we look at the hype use cases, like what are the really cool things that a designer in uh, an enterprise want to build. And then we create an article on how to build that and best practices and everything. And that's our biggest source of uh, leads. So boring answer but also something that vev is really useful for we wouldn't be able uh, to I, do I, it in this cool way without vev i wouldn't say this is a boring answer it could have been a boring answer if you just said uh, seo but framing it in in the context of what is a hype topic right now that many 
in vertical X or persona Y is interested in. And then with your own tool, you can create that even better. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. perfect lead machine. And it's, it's a hats off for you for have founding that way with your own tool to shorten the time there also. I, I, I think I it's a good it That way, but that's, yeah, that's very true. I think that our marketing team, we put, of course, as a, the nature of our company, it's natural, but we put a lot of effort into the design of our blog compared to pretty much anyone else. It's a templated process, but where we are, we have the freedom to add design uh, as we as we choose. So SEO has created way more results like through a simple blog than we expected when we looked at benchmarks. So that's and a good the, tip. And yeah, and there you have basically one more argument for your salespeople. If you talk like, how did we end up in this meeting? And if they think of like, yeah, maybe I found like, good, you can do this yourself. <laughs> they <laughs> so, can. That's a good point. Yeah, good uh, why, why I thought of this angle is, first of all, before saying that, Sebastian, thank you so much for your question, taking the time to uh, quickly join us here in the podcast. And it's because of my tool, VAM. I'm building a sales tool, an outreach tool. And basically, whenever I'm in a meeting, when I have did some sort of inbound or outbound outreach, I just ask, how did we end up here? And they're like, ah, oh, I love that approach. Same thing for I'm you with that tool. That. Yeah. I don't believe in people that want to sell me something that they didn't use themselves if they could have. Good and point. in your scenario, you, you most certainly are using something that works and it's your most important lead generation. So talking outreach, Tina, now I'm curious, what's the best outreach you have gotten in the last month, month, quarter that led to have actually buying a new product or service? I have bought two things. So I've actually said yes to using an outbound agency. So I thought about how I ended up there and it's through references. So someone I know and trust said, someone she knows and trusts is starting this company and we should talk. So that's one. And then I realized that another was... We it was this... Was this yeah. you asking for that or was it like she introduced... Random reference saying you should look into this. So I wasn't necessarily in the process of buying, but the the reference... Okay, so, they, so they basically got, got the open door when they did outreach because you're like, I've heard a tip. Okay, so that's, that's one scenario that gotten you to buy in mm. like a super warm outreach. And you, yeah. it sounded like you had something else in mind regarding some outreach you gotten. Yeah, and then this also inspired me. We were uh, buying a new CRM platform and the customer success manager there tipped us on a solution to some product data, product data issues that we had where we ended up buying this, the, the service that he mentioned. So both of these approaches inspired me to look at different ways where SaaS solutions or platforms that are complementary to VEV, if we were able to set up a similar approach. So that actually led me to now being in talks with a couple of CMS platforms about partnerships. 
So I think that like, yeah, references is a network, of course, is incredibly powerful. And if we take this super simple details, then if somebody tried to do an outreach, according to you, is it phone call, LinkedIn, email, smoke signals? What is your preferred (laughs) channel? Still email, actually. I think LinkedIn is so noisy and phone calls, everyone is scared of phone calls these days. So I would say that email is my preferred method. Oh, and like now a, when you say like it, a short maybe... email, short, crisp email, or should it be like more uh, well thought through, long case studies, etc.? I think the mid version is the coolest. If someone thinks that they'll catch my attention with like, hey, did you look into this? The, in that second email, I can't re- remember what the first thing I was supposed to look into <laughs> was. So then I just move on with my life. So it has to be some bits and pieces of information, I think, in also the follow-up emails. Because yeah, I think that is power in, in those sequences because you might not have time in that first instance, but then I never remember what they refer to. <laughs> And Google, the Gmail thing isn't the best at threads. So I would say bits and pieces of information that makes it relevant to me. If it's either a problem that I should pay attention to, or if you've scraped our tech stack and know what we're using and have something complementary. So make it relevant in some shape or form. And I might look into it. Great input. And yeah, this basically means that we are entering now the roundout in it. So we only have a few questions left. And the first thing here, is there anything you think that I have missed asking you that you think can be of relevance right now for the listeners? Hmm. If I do outbound, if we do outbound in outreach in any shape or form, maybe? Yeah. Do, do you do outbound? <laughs> we just started. So we are yeah, in you, that you te- you, Like you said, you, you have the outbound agency, etc. So So you have yeah. just started with that. I've started with that. And so we have lived on inbound. So of course, we hope that outbound can give us that targeted reach that we, that we can benefit from. But I think it's very interesting. The more founders that I talked to recently goes back to like old school sales processes. So I think we've had a hype with PLG and expecting every B2B company to be PLG. And then you start to hear that Slack has the biggest sales organization in the world sort of thing. So I really think that this is an interesting time to be in B2B SaaS solutions as well when it comes to traditional sales. Yeah, Salesforce, like the most successful SaaS company of them all. Oh, I think if I'm not 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 just doing crazy information, but I think over fifty percent of the company is working with sales, and it, we're talking tens of thousands of people. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, because with outbound you can also control you know who you should talk with, why, etc. And in a case you can't with inbound. Great input. And now third last question. You have already said one book, but I want to ask, what's your favorite book? You have the classic that just everyone should read. 
Sapiens, of course, everyone should read that. And then you have the one, the hard thing about hard things. Is that hard thing about hard things? That one is incredible just as inspiration for the journey that you've set out on as a founder, just to sort of see that you're not alone, even if we operate in totally different worlds between Silicon Valley and Oslo, Norway. And then I think that you should also take time to read like stories, not only read those how to self-help books, like read inspiration for your soul as well. Yeah. Second last question then, Antina. Now you're talking to yourself. Think the young Antina five years ago. If you would give yourself the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, what would you tell yourself? I would say to act on your gut feeling is like the number one uh, and hire when it hurts. Period. Period. <laughs> yeah. Act on your gut feeling and hire when it hurts. And, and this means hire when it hurts that, that maybe before in the crazy take times before 2022, maybe you hired just because of the growth and future not when it didn't hurt exactly we've been through that journey before 2020 and after and we have arrived now to the very last question and i want us to i want you to like put on a more philosophical mindset now because i want to know one of your favorite life mottos oh gosh i have a tattoo (laughs) from when I was, was I 18 maybe? It's called, it's a saying that says Svamarga. It's an old Sanskrit philosophy that says that everyone has a path and you can't see it. It's not like written in the stars. And this goes back to my gut feeling, but the only guidance you have in life is that if something feels right, continue to do it. If something feels slightly wrong, that's a big message. And you should act and do something to get into that good feeling. Great way and great last words here. And now I'm quickly shifting the uh, focus towards you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, don't be selfish if you got value. If you got value, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Tina in B2B SaaS And thing number two, Press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Tine, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thank you for having me. <laughs>